Hey y'all, I'm Reese, and welcome to Making Meaning. Making Meaning is here to guide you along your path to make meaning in a way that makes sense for you. This week, I am joined by my amazing friend from high school, Lauren Bush. Lauren is a recent grad from Washington University of St. Louis with her multifaceted degree in philosophy, neuroscience, psychology, and German. This next year, Lauren will be a Fulbright English teaching assistant in Germany, continuing her research in philosophy, which is just crazy cool. If y'all aren't familiar with being a Fulbright scholar, it is a crazy, crazy honor. So that is just like one of the coolest accolades someone can ever get. And the fact that she gets to go to Germany to research philosophy is absolutely epic. So I'm really glad we got a chance to sit down and just chit chat and catch up before we're no longer in the same country, sadly. So Lauren is not only one of the most fun people I know who I laugh constantly with, but she also intellectually challenges me in a way that is so rare to find in friendships. She is one of my friends who I can have ridiculously deep conversations with and then immediately start joking around about something completely off topic. And I think that is really reflected in this episode and in our conversation. This episode has um, a lot of chaotic energy to it, but I think it made it really fun and easier to talk about some of these topics that we got into during this hour. Lauren is just an example of how having conversations like this aren't a chore. They're fun and insightful at the same time, and I certainly gained a lot from chatting with Lauren, and I hope you all gained something from this episode too. So let's take a deep breath and jump into it. Hello, Lauren. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Having a pretty chill day. Good. Yeah, it's cloudy, so I don't have to worry about getting as sunburned. Yeah. I did wear my sunscreen today, so that's good. But mm-hmm. yeah, pretty good day. We had a little brunch, which was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah. It's been a while, so it was it has, good. It, it was good to catch up. So before we like really get started with our conversation, I am just going to ask you what is something you're grateful for right now. Um. Maybe I would say uh, inner strength, Ooh. I guess, just because I've been dealing with some troubling... <laughs> some things that require inner strength. Friendships, yeah. <laughs> um, some uh, energy vampires, if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful that I'm sticking up for myself, which is not always easy. But yeah, that's my thing today. I'm glad. I love to hear that. That's beautiful. Um, so to kind of kickstart our conversation, tell me your story, whatever that means for you in as little or as many words as you want. Okay. And how much detail? Up to you. Um, all right. Well, my name's Lauren. Um, Reese and I met in high school and, um, yeah, we were both 
heavily influenced by this particular English teacher. Um, and in that class, that kind of sparked my interest in philosophy and poetry. Um, so I pursued those interests more in college at Wash U. And um, yeah, eventually I hope to be a philosophy professor and kind of uh, encourage other people to ask questions and um, maybe impose some existential crises mm -hmm. on my mm -hmm. students. That's always fun. But um, yeah. Um, and next year I'm going to Germany to teach English or assist te teaching English as um, a Fulbright ETA. So I'm really looking forward to that. But um, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm a proud nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. I love it. Lauren, you're such just a wonderful person oh, inside <laughs> and out. And so I'm really Likewise. glad that we can chat. Um, so obviously, like philosophy was something that we were both really, we, we both had an understanding of it before meeting Mr. Jones. Mm -hmm. But like, obviously, he like, really brought that out in us. Yeah. What was something from that class that you still think about today that you were like, that was like, crazy and changed like everything? Yeah, so really the first groundbreaking moment, um, we read uh, Rilke's Ninth Duno Eulogy, mm. um, which I actually have tattooed on my arm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that poem instantly, I don't know, it, it really resonated with me because in language, Rilke questions language and, mm. you know, this idea that language is the only medium that we have to express ourselves outside of ourselves as human beings but at the end of the day it always falls short of like a perfect translation of that experience yeah so kind of grappling with that intersection between this is all we have yeah um and it's also never good enough it's never good enough but it also is incredible that we even have something like yeah. that um of course there are like the arts, which is sure. another way to communicate that kind of thing. But yeah, that question just really stuck with me um, and kind of informed the way that I approached um, philosophy initially in college. Yeah. Um, I also learned about Heidegger's being in time in that class, um, which has been the source of many epiphanies and headaches as well. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, that one, that one poem was kind of the first thing that really got me thinking about um, those philosophical questions yeah. and in like a medium that was still artistic. Yeah. So language, <laughs> what about language do you think sets it apart from the other arts and the sense of like being able to describe experience? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I mean, I used to dance a lot. I used mm -hmm. to want to be a professional dancer in high school, and then I, <laughs> like, broke both my knees, so that was uh, not going to happen. But um, for the longest time when I was younger, that kind of was my Expression. communication medium of choice, um, because it isn't in language. I don't know. It's not that language is better than the arts. It's just, like, a different aspect of existence is communicated in something like um, 
a dance performance or like a visual artwork or something where it's unspoken but it still communicates a feeling Mm. um and sometimes that type of communication is um i guess more accurate than language um but i think the act of trying to put it in language is something that you know it is the medium we use to communicate every day um and so kind of stepping up to that challenge of trying to express the inexpressible. There's is, something about the yeah. discursivity of it that's like right. makes it more difficult, but also maybe more meaningful. I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but no, yeah, something like that. Um, because then, I mean, personally, I think that um, philosophy is always something that's dialectical. Like it always happens in dialogue. Yeah. Um, at least for me, that's where the most. Um, insights come from is dialogue with others and that is in language and it's kind of through grappling with those you know with that challenge of trying to explain what's going on in your mind (laughs) Um, it's extremely difficult but I think also um, very fulfilling yeah if you can have that type of conversation with others yeah yeah so how do you think that grappling with these questions of life and being in existence <laughs> through language has impacted the way you personally live your life. What do you mean by <laughs> <laughs> So like in, cause during lunch we were talking about how like after Joan's class, we both feel like the trajectory trajectory of our lives like completely mm-hmm. shifted and changed. Yeah. And for me, it was like, even just the way that like I walk through the world felt like it was with a different yeah comportment yes comportment. <laughs> yes comportment yes comportment <laughs> pop off comportment um <laughs> so stupid oh, but for you like what does that look like how do those daily things or maybe like not necessarily ritual or habitual things, but, like, how has that shifted your engagement with your life? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think kind of my interest in language and my personal feeling that it's almost, like, the impossible obligation, Mm -hmm. as Jones would call it, our English teacher, Mm -hmm. um, to attempt to express the inexpressible of human existence in this flawed medium. Um, So in my everyday life, I guess that understanding that language is flawed, that at the end of the day, these are human, like, creations, these labels, you know, water bottle, microphone. Yeah. We've created those concepts. Um, And so I guess you could describe that as, oh, well, these labels are flawed. because there are creation but then on the other hand there's also a different way you could describe that as like well we created meaning Mm. like we brought this new meaning to this random collection of particles in space if you're if you're privy to a corpuscular universe but anyways (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i guess kind of the idea that language is a flawed medium that we're kind of obliged to 
use and explore ideas in um, kind of manifest for me in the everyday as the understanding that um, I'm the sole arbiter of meaning in my life. Mm. Um, and that's terrifying. Yeah. But it's also, you know, an opportunity to live your life authentically, whatever that may mean to you, knowing that, you know, you get to decide, you get to have a say in yeah. um, what your purpose is, what meaning is for you. Um, kind of like the existentialist type of vibe. Yeah. Um, and on the day-to-day, I guess, on, you know, <laughs> on a more concrete level, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's get, get down from the abstract. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, but, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I guess in the everyday, what that looks like for me is really trying to be mindful and really live in the moment. Mm. Um, because even in boring stuff, you know, just kind of sitting around looking at the clouds, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it seems very, like, trivial, but you have the power to imbue every experience you have with meaning. Yeah. Um, and even learn from it. Mm. Almost learning from yourself. Yeah, in, in that way. way. Yeah. That is so interesting. So, going back to something you said at the beginning, this impossible obligation, <laughs> when did you realize that that was a mantle that you had to take up? Because hmm. I think that while you and I both agree that it is an obligation, right? I think very few people actually engage with it mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. So what do you think is the difference there? If that makes sense? Without that coming across as like judgmental. Because oh, it's no, just no, a no. different <laughs> mode of living. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, just reading that one poem from Rilke, like, in a way, that obligation almost became, like, religion to me in a way. Like, it did become mm. a way of of living, um, like, in my everyday life. Yeah. Um, and especially this idea of, like, the poet as the mediator between the mundane and the divine kind of trying to express these divine, like, yeah. ideas or feelings in a, a very down-to-earth type of way. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. It, it just, to me, it feels like bridging the gap between two aspects of existence, mm. one of which maybe is less you know, important to most people in the day-to-day, like the divine mm-hmm. kind of abstract stuff um, that doesn't really concern most people in in the everyday type of stuff. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but... No, no, I'm... Yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's like the impossible obligate. Like, it's really hard to explain, but um, I don't know. Yeah, that's it just. In the, I, I I'm certainly not looking for a perfect answer. Yeah, by I don't any think means. I can give you a perfect answer yeah. to that question. So break down this concept of like poet as mediator between the divine and the real, because I think that that's something that we both kind of yeah. um, I think feel. Would you say that in that I guess metaphor? 
for you feel as though you are the poet and then that is how you live your life? And if so, can you break those concepts down a little bit? Yeah, I definitely try to live as the mediator in my day-to-day life. I mean, I do love writing poetry, um, but in a more everyday type of way, when I'm not writing poetry, to me that kind of looks like um, trying to merge two aspects of my own existence into the present moment. Mm. Um, I'm a Libra. I don't know if this really means anything, (laughs) but, you know, kind of... Some people say that Libras tend to, you know, uh, fall to one extreme or the other with the scales Mm -hmm. being off balance and such. And early in my life, kind of late middle school, early high school, I would go through these phases of um, being really on top of, like, my physical health, you know, my um, eating healthy, Mm -hmm. getting good sleep, um, being really productive at school. And then (laughs) another phase of getting really in my head, really, like, cerebral thoughts constantly um focusing on spirituality on meditation these two different aspects of like extremely physical versus extremely like metaphysical exactly exactly and (laughs) i eventually realized or admitted to myself that that wasn't gonna work (laughs) because you know if you ignore one then it's going to impede your ability to develop the other, at least in my personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of trying to merge those two aspects of my own development and my own self-improvement is something that is something I'm always working on. Yeah, but, of course. Um, I mean, that's it's, definitely it's, the goal for me. It's a never-ending kind of oh, yeah. thing. Like, yeah. I feel like <laughs> It'll if never be perfect. Yeah, I feel like if you've been like, I did it, you kind of missed the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what do you think it is about the concept of the poet as mediator that calls to you because I'm like it it goes back a little bit to our conversation of language and Mm -hmm. how the poet kind of mediates these two aspects of life through language um yeah I tell tell me more about that yeah I don't know it's kind of interesting because I don't know if this is Rilke I'm pretty sure it's Holderlin um the as on a holiday one yeah um (laughs) kind of the idea that you know is the poet the mediator or kind of like a false prophet Mm. you know it's a little bit of both but in a way I think it's um in my experience reading Rilke's poetry it I don't know the power of the poet is being able to facilitate facilitate a type of thinking where that type of merging of these two aspects of life Mm. can come together kind of those existential questions like yeah well what is the meaning of language what's the meaning of life you know um yeah why are we here what are we supposed to do while we're here (laughs) um all those angsty boy questions yeah um boy spelt b-o-i of course of course yeah (laughs) obviously (laughs) but i think yeah i think poetry has um its power in being able to facilitate that mode of questioning Mm. that maybe other art forms 
for me didn't really immediately kind of take you there. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. So it's almost like there's this mirror relationship between the poet engaging with language and you, the human being, engaging with life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Okay, (laughs) cool, cool. I love that. Um, So then going back to this kind of like the scales and balancing, have you always felt like there are these two different dimensions of your life for like Lauren, whatever Lauren means, right? But um, that it's like these are these two aspects. Has it always felt like that? Because I think something that I struggle with in thinking about these things is the difference between balancing the duality Mm -hmm. and multiplicity and what's the difference there and how do those different concepts inform each other but also um kind of oppose each other yeah exactly exactly yeah I mean yeah I have the same problem um and for me I guess duality is just an easy way of talking about these things. Mm. You know, it's kind of the easy way out, but at the end of the day, I personally think on a metaphysical level, it's much more of a spectrum, you know? Like, nothing's just black and white. Um, And I think for me, early on, trying to better myself from a standpoint of duality almost made it more difficult. Because it was kind of trying to merge these two separate pieces of the puzzle. But if you can approach what looks like a duality from a standpoint of just kind of a a unity that's Mm. been divided um, in these human concepts, then it's almost easier. So it's almost like when putting it into language, duality (laughs) is an easier way to kind of talk about it. Right. But when putting it into practice, approaching it with the mindset of unity, multiplicity, kind of feels more accurate. Yeah, more organic for me. Mm, Organic's a good word. (laughs) I mean, it's a problem I see in philosophy all the time. Um, I personally, the jury's still out for me whether each and every one of us has, like, a soul, you know? Yeah. I like to think of it more as just, like, an energy that we're all kind of taking part in. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have a little piece of it um, versus, like, little soul for each of us. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, that stays there. This and, one's for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, there is this concept of a soul. And right. kind of creating a term for it as its own separate thing makes it really easy to fall into a pattern of thinking that it is its right. own separate thing. Well, and even if it began as this kind of understanding of like, well, we are all imbued with soul that is maybe this like fingertips of God's existence yep. kind of thing that we're all taking part in, but in using language to try and describe it, but going back again, like language falling short mm-hmm. in accurately describing the experience of soul could it have been almost mistranslated and exactly. miscommunicated yeah. into being like, oh, this is my soul that I own. This is my thing that makes me me yeah. that is mine, <laughs> as opposed to like, no, we all participate in this communal thing. Mm-hmm. But how we talk about things inherently 
defines the things themselves. Exactly. Yeah, I think mistranslated is a really good word for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I love that. Um, go for it. <laughs> I'm quite parched. <laughs> no, please drink your water. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so switching, well, not totally switching gears, but something that I always think about in terms of, like, multiplicity versus duality, I always think of Library of Babel and how you... My favorite. Which, I know, it's a short story by Jorge Luis Borges, um, who is a Spanish author, yes? I think he's Argentinian. Argentinian. Uh, yes. Okay, yes. I think so. But he writes originally in... Spanish. So it's really interesting too, in terms of like translation with that, that like neither of us speaks Spanish. So Mm -hmm. we can't actually read the original. Like we're only (laughs) reading a translation. So that's already like an interesting point of Mm -hmm. separation. Oh yeah. But in Library of Babel, um, Borges describes like this room with the mirrors on the side, and then eventually, um, <laughs> Lauren just pointed out her tattoo. Yeah, of I have the a library tattoo of Babel. like, you know, how he describes each gallery. And I remember we would spend hours drawing trying, them, drawing the galleries, trying to figure out how the library would actually look. <laughs> yeah. So that literally was like that was so fun. Those are so fun, and I remember like. <laughs> when we like reached this moment in creative writing class actually with Mr. G. Oh and yeah. we had to like run to Mr. Jones class. We were like, we figured yeah, we figured that out the so library. Funny. Even though like obviously we didn't, but yeah. it was like <laughs> I we're forgot geniuses. about that. That was so funny. Yeah. But we would try We and were always try. so loud in that class. And the stats class was always like, hey, we're actually trying to do work. Back to duality. Babel yeah. and duality. So I think for me reading that short story was one of the first things that I was like, whoa, Borges is describing this thing that feels very like this is the one entity. But then he says something and it like breaks it open. And it's like, yeah, actually, it's layered on top of each other and outwardly from each other. Mm -hmm. And it's also described as hexagon, which of course, hexagons are the only like naturally occurring shape in nature, like bananas and beehives. (laughs) What? Oh! Bananas originally, the only reason they're not hexagons now is because of like... GMOs. GMOs, yeah. (laughs) I did not know that, wow. So, it's like the only naturally occurring organic geometric shape, Hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um... But of course, that can expand outward infinitely because hexagons can all fit into Mm -hmm. each other and on top of each other and then twist and layer within each other and getting smaller within themselves and bigger outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, like breaking open this whole thing that is like, whoa, it is actually within us, without us, around us, surrounding us. (laughs) Insert Geyer. (laughs) <laughs> so Another tell me book. tell me all of your thoughts about that kind of stuff that is like <laughs> these concepts of constant expansion yeah. and contraction mm-hmm. within these things and what that means for you in your life. Oh yeah. I mean, I have two points on this. I mean, to tie it back to the duality thing, I think something Borges does that kind of harks back to this point is he sets up 
contradictions constantly mm. in that story. Yeah, like yeah. he'll say the library is both finite and infinite. Yes. Um, and in equating the two, which are clearly opposites in, mm-hmm. in their, you know, meaning, he kind of does away with the duality altogether. The idea that they're, yeah. 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 Like the contradiction creates a space where it's meaningless. Right. You know, and you have to find another framework to define what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of the reason I find the story so interesting. Yeah. Because you kind of have to approach it with a new frame of mind. Yeah. Than we're used to on the day to day. I mean, you know, people tend to fall back into black or white thinking, you know, yeah. like it's yes or no, this or that, right or wrong, all those things. So, yeah. But on another note, what was I talking Oh, yeah, the, the Geyer thing. The Geyer thing. Because I think of these yeah. two concepts as very similar. So for our listeners, the Geyer is a shape that a lot of different things move in. It's spelled G-Y-R-E, and it is like the helix of your DNA is a Geyer, but it also is the way that our solar system moves around the sun, and yep. then that solar system moves within the Milky Way. So it is a shape that is replicated very often mm-hmm. and on similarly, excuse you, <laughs> kind of rude of that car to kind interrupt, Kind of rude honestly. to honk at us like that. Yeah, like kind of aggressive. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I think of the concept of the gyre and how like that's literally our DNA, yeah. but also our solar system in mm-hmm. that same shape. And that is like a scientifically proven fact. Yeah as similar to the same concept of the hexagon of the Library of Babel. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, at the beginning he says something, something where the reader understands that the library is kind of like a metaphor for the universe. Right. So it's almost like a metaphysical account of the universe in the way that he's describing the library Mm -hmm. as, you know, kind of this gyre structure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's kind of, it's definitely tricky because, at least for me, I used to um, really be into these types of questions and, you know, William Butler Yeats Mm -hmm. has a vision where he talks about gyres and all that fun stuff. and how they all interact and, Yeah. yeah. As, like, the structure of the universe and of the progression of time. And I used to be really into sacred geometry and all that fun yeah. stuff. And I still am. I'm still very interested in it. But I think uh, <laughs> I used to approach it as an attempt to find the truth, capital T truth, mm. of the structure of the universe. And, well, not just the structure, but I guess the meaning of it or yeah. how time progresses, the patterns, what yeah. meaningful patterns they, there are. Um, because surely if there's this thing that is replicated millions of times, then it must, yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I still find that very interesting, but I think in my own philosophical investigations now, it's much less about finding definite answers because I think as soon as you do that, you've lost the point. It's no longer philosophy. Yeah. You know? Obviously, I want to get closer to answers, but it's more about asking questions for me mm-hmm. and encouraging other people to 
take up those same questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so something you said earlier that I kind of want to draw back into this conversation is um, that these kinds of questions and asking these questions has become your religion um, <laughs> in a certain way. Tell me what that looks like, because obviously that's not like an organized religion, but it's your yeah. own kind of developed thing that asking these kinds of questions and having these kinds of conversations feels like a religious experience. Yeah. Yeah, it really does to me. I think the religious feeling of it um, happens more in the day-to-day of being able to be present in the moment Mm -hmm. and just enjoy the little things, um, you know, returning to nature, enjoying that, just kind of unplugging from time to time. Um, so I feel like the religious aspect of it for me is, um, more so like my connection to nature and that feeling of unity that's already there between the human being and nature. Um, but yeah, I don't know. My brain's kind of farting out at this point. (laughs) Um... (laughs) You, I mean, get, you, get lost, you get lost in the jargon, and then your brain just short circuits. It's, it's like, kind of true. Can you use normal words now? Just for- and it, literally <laughs> saying the words Library of Babel and Geyer as though they have any meaning, but they... Oh, but they do! <laughs> but they do! But it's like, that's... Language. Yeah. It goes back to language. And, and it, but like, it so does. And even like us having this conversation, reflecting the difficulty of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's the impossible obligation. Yeah, that, like, we want to be having this conversation, but literally in the midst of trying to describe that feeling, it's like, okay, now I have that feeling, and I cannot, like, my brain literally short circuits. Yeah, you can't express it. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's a challenge, but, um... Yeah, oh, but it's, I it's had something obligation. Comprehendable, but I lost it. Yeah, that's quite all right. It'll it'll come back. Do you want to think about it for a second? What was your question again? Um, (laughs) something about oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So how have these? Um, I guess it's less religious and more so it gives my life purpose. Mm, Religion gives a lot of people meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that way, I think you could say it's a religion. Right. But. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, But something that gives your life purpose. Right, because at the end of the day, I will live and I will die without knowing for certain whether I have the right answers, the right understanding of life, the meaning of life. You know, I might arrive at some answer, but there's nothing in this world that can confirm my truth as the capital T truth. Yeah, period, end of sentence, full stop. Yeah, Yeah. and so at the end of the day, you know, I'm no, I don't want to fall into, you know, the whole postmodernist idea that there's no truth at all. Right. At the end of the day, you can never be certain. And so getting others to ask questions and ask me questions even um, and challenge my own pre-existing beliefs and opinions about the world and myself um, not only reflects that fact, I guess, that 
we can never really confirm whether our truth is the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it gives me purpose because it facilitates that same type of thinking that I was talking about earlier where you can realize, like, oh, shit, the, the world is basically meaningless. Yeah. You know? But then from that, you can take a stand on that meaning. Yeah, very say, Albert Camus. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, we've completely deconstructed everything. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do now? Exactly. And, yeah, I love absurdism. I do, too. Um, well, because at a certain point, I think conversations like this kind of do devolve into oh, absurdism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to have, one, a sense of humor, I think, <laughs> oh, in approaching, yeah. like, the ridiculousness. How absurd life is. <laughs> yeah, of the fact that, like, we're here talking about that. Like, it, it literally is mind-boggling. But then to be able to say okay, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to... Give up and cry about it. Right. And be like, oh, everything's meaningless. Uh, yeah. I'll just be a emo my whole life, yeah, I guess. Yeah, right. I'll it... get some clipping colored hair <laughs> extensions. Are you coming for middle school Reese right now? <laughs> oh, I'm coming for middle school Lauren right now. I love those things. Yeah. I'd wear the low pony right, right oh, in the yeah. middle. Oh, yeah. Right in the middle. With the clip-in. Mm-hmm. Maybe leave the clip-in out. out. Yeah, yeah. Pull it down to oh, yeah. the face framing, you know? Perfect. So bad. But it's like then being able to take charge of what that means for you while knowing that it's that for definition you, yeah. for you, while... So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. In the sense of the importance of finding what that means for you, because that's kind of the purpose behind this podcast, everything that I'm doing, I really want to push people to be like, yeah, what is that for you? You right. have to take ownership of that because yeah. otherwise, in my opinion, there is no point mm-hmm. in living this life yeah. if you are not doing that. True. Like, which sounds really extreme. But I mean, like, I, I would agree with that. But it's like, I believe it. You have to find that impossible obligation whatever it looks like for you exactly um how do you reconcile your personal truth that you found which of course changes and grows and does Mm -hmm. different things over time with the idea that like on some level that is truth because it is your personal truth Mm -hmm. however is it capital t truth and the difference between those two truths because I think they're they are different truths oh yeah for sure and both of them maybe change Mm -hmm. what's the relationship between them for you oh man I mean I guess you could say the lowercase t truth um kind of is what whatever living authentically means to you okay you know for me that will mean writing poetry, teaching, um, you know, studying philosophy. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that that is the only way to live authentically for everyone. And I think recognizing that there's no certainty in in finding the capital T truth Mm -hmm. and that you have to define your own truth and meaning in this life, I think something really important that comes from that just in terms of like social interactions is for me 
it's enabled me to be more accepting of individual differences, you know, mm. whether that be religious, um, political views, um, yeah, nationality, I don't know, anything really, yeah. because in that sense of personal auth- authenticity, there's no one single answer to that. Yeah, being you know? able to kind of accept and honor the difference in how other people are finding their truth. Yeah, so to me, if you've given your life purpose and you're happy and, you know, we're different... Cool. That Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, you know, in that sense of personal everyday life, that truth is going to look different. Yeah. Um, so I think learning to accept that and respect that is something so, especially in the in the in the states <laughs> we could do a little bit better <laughs> yeah at, at this point in time yeah yeah it is interesting how these really big questions do inherently boil down to changing the way you operate in your daily life and how you engage mm-hmm. with other people oh yeah so tell me a little bit about your daily practices that you feel like because I, I, you know, you talked a little bit about like meditating and really focusing on being present and how writing poetry and pursuing teaching are things that really make you feel like you're honoring your purpose. Mm-hmm. What are other things? Now I do want to hear more about that daily grind oh, yeah. of the obligation. So, what are things that like you've kind of um, employed to help figure that out and yeah. feel like you're doing the thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it um, takes place in an academic context. Sure. Not all of it, but um, for me, school is has been a very fulfilling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are a lot of problems with higher education. I know yeah. there's some corruption, but I think for me, that experience of coming together in a place with other people from all around the country, all around the world, yeah, with completely different viewpoints um, as me, and sitting down to have a conversation about it. Um, I don't know. To me, that's just always been a very fulfilling experience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess in the day-to-day, having conversations with people that have different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, learning from others... Wanting to, I mean, I want to be a teacher, an actual yeah. teacher, but in my everyday life, I try to be both a teacher and a student mm. because everyone you meet is a potential teacher. Yeah. Um, if you're willing to listen and be open to, you know, learning to their ideas and to what they have to say. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff, you know. What are some, like, tangible things that, like, if, if you... I, 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 I'm like, always in the abstract. I know, but no, I, I'm i like, if there's someone out there who is like, this Lauren girl, I think she's on to something. <laughs> what does she do, like, that I should start trying to do? Oh, man. I mean, I would just say, you know talk with all kinds of people I guess that that's the easiest thing to do really um is just to have conversations with people that you know you disagree with Mm. but not in a way to 
you know, have a debate or try to figure right. out who's right and who's wrong, but to learn from each other. And just and, stay open. Yeah, and try to, like, approach a closer type of truth, if you want to yeah. call it that, together. Um, yeah, I mean, I say have conversations. I'm not antisocial by choice, but, <laughs> you know... That's- a lot of people don't <laughs> want to hear. Lauren. A lot of people don't want to hear about all this is, mumbo jumbo. It is hard to find people to have conversations oh, yeah. like this with, but yeah. that I think is also something that in my own life <laughs> I have worked on. Is even if the style of conversation doesn't feel like oh, this yeah, one for sure, it doesn't mean you can't apply the learnings to this type of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. And going back to what we talked about earlier, kind of these two, you know, yep. the, the spiritual cerebral side mm-hmm. of self-improvement and then like the very, not mundane, but, you know, yeah. very concrete ways that you can do that. Um, and ideally those don't have to be separate. Right. Um, Being able to yeah. identify the connection there. Yeah. So even just having a conversation with someone about I don't know. Yeah. Something, like, it doesn't have to be abstract all the time. Right. Because most people will be asleep. They'll, they'll fall <laughs> yeah. asleep. Well, and also, <laughs> I, think, I think we're really lucky that we have a shared body of knowledge because we yeah, did we go to high just school be like, together. Yeah, we possible obligation. Yeah, well, and <laughs> we're like, we're remember about. the short story in this poem that we both have read? <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously we have right. this, like... N- Shared context. Right, that we can draw from to talk about this stuff, and I think we're lucky in that way. Oh, yeah. But that does provide a little bit of a barrier in having Mm -hmm. abstract conversations if you don't have a shared language. Right. But there is some way, I think, to be the mediating poet in those conversations where maybe you are just talking about, like, connecting with people is really important. Like, okay, well, what does that mean? metaphysically yeah even just like oh metaphysically just just (laughs) for instance you know but i mean if you want to answer that question go for it but Uh, that was more of just like an example oh yeah for sure actually i have another question i want to ask you okay so going back to this kind of concept of creating your own religion purpose meaning how would you define (laughs) god oof um that is a wonderful question, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> great question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for me, um, I don't know. I personally don't believe that God is... I mean, you know, there's this idea that we're created in God's image. And I don't think that has to mean that God is, like, somehow, like like an anthropomorphic god. I can't, mm. that word's so hard to say. Yeah, that is kind of anthropomorphic a hard word Anthropomorphic god. Um, like some dude with a beard right. up in the sky. Or right. even something humanoid. Yeah, some type of deity or anything like that. To me, god to me kind of encapsulates this idea that everything is everything. Mm. And my mom is pretty religious now, and uh, the other day she was like, oh, well, do you ever pray? <laughs> and I w- said, well, not in the way that you you might pray. think, not in the way that most people define it. Mm-hmm. And 
I know this will sound conceited at first, but I'll explain. <laughs> I said to her, well, if I was to pray to God, I'd essentially be praying to myself and to everyone else and to ev- everything. Because right. to me, I like to call it the divine because that's much more ambiguous to me. Yeah. Um, but it's everything, yeah. you know? Not just life. I don't... Well, I guess everything is alarm. Yeah. I don't well, know. Like, it's just everything together and the fact that I'm in it, you know? Yeah, Part of it. Yeah. Not as, like, a separate thing. I mean, in my everyday life, yes. Right. But in the big scheme of things... I'm a part of this greater system. Yeah. It almost makes me think a little bit about, um, like, fire. So if you were to have this big <laughs> cue fire dance moves that Lauren just... Did some little dances. Yes, yeah, <laughs> some little dances. But if you were to have this, like, huge bonfire in front of you, and then everyone has their own candle mm-hmm. and, like, lights their candle oh, on yeah. fire, it doesn't take away from the size of the bonfire... Nor hmm, does it, yeah. like, put it out. You're yeah. not, like, taking anything away from it. But it's still the same fire Ooh, I like on that. your candle, right? So it's almost like this, you're a part of it. Mm-hmm. But also, if you weren't, you wouldn't be changing what fire is. Yes. But also, <laughs> you are a part of that fire. Yeah, I like that. That's a really nice, like, mental picture Thanks. of it, I think. Yeah, you say fingertips of... <laughs> of God's existence. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's kind of, I mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it's not really a separate entity Yeah. in in my personal yeah. and definition. I, I tend to agree with that, but also not everyone will. But I do think that there's this really cool thing that's like, even like in inanimate objects like atoms are still moving and shaking with energy you know it's like and that is the same energy that we as animate objects are moving and shaking with yeah you know it's like so what is that why is there a difference there and what is that kind of thing that is that energy that is divine in everything yeah even like a piece of garbage yeah. That's still part of it. <laughs> yeah, that is still... Yeah. You see a banana peel on the road. It's like, wow. That's God. Yeah, and... I mean, I know it's just like a, vis- a visual aspect of existence, but I I paint in my free time mm-hmm. just for funsies. For funsies. Um, oil painting, to be precise. But, um, I don't know, kind of that practice of looking really closely at an image. I do, like, realism mm-hmm. stuff. Um, my attempt at realism. Um... And kind of observing the colors and the patterns. Because if you look really closely at something, like a portrait, for example, it's not just, like, skin tone. You know, there's, like, blues and And greens and purples. Yeah. And all these colors that if you, like, in the gestalt sort of full picture don't really come through. They fade away. Yeah. But just kind of looking closely at things like that... And seeing that, you know, having a sense of wonder mm. towards even the banana peel on the ground. I mean, yeah. I'd probably just step over it, to be honest. But, but. you know, that's just kind of a random example. Um, but I think maintaining that sense of wonder towards 
the world and not just, you know, stopping at the concepts themselves, like banana peel. Right. And kind of seeing it as shapes and colors and just existence. Yeah, yeah. Like it <laughs> People is are probably that... listening to this like, what is... <laughs> a banana peel? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, did they... Um, they are they okay? They lunch before. Did they smoke before? Did they smoke? That what what are y'all on? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not uh, out here worshipping banana peels, I can assure you. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But, I mean, well, I'm like, in maybe. some ways, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? But, yeah. but, I mean, I think that it's like your own interpretation of it. So, and I think also, these feel like very, like, weird things to say, <laughs> you know? But... I think we actually see them reflected in a lot of other religions that just, again, uses mm-hmm. different language. Like, yeah. even in, like, the Judeo-Christian sense that, like, God is in everyone, right? Yeah. Like, that has been a very normalized thing to say. I think this just takes it a little bit of a step further mm-hmm. that has that sense of wonder about, okay, what does that mean that God is in everyone? Yeah. Like, you know? even not only sentient beings. Right. Maybe other stuff, too. Yeah. I've started... This is kind of random. Do it. And people are really going to think I'm on something now. But <laughs> lately, I've been looking at trees and thinking, I kind of feel like that's a person trapped in there. I don't know why. That's kind of scary. It's so scary. I hope it's not... I'm, I hope it's not true, because that would suck. I mean, it would be cool to be a tree, but to be like, I'm trapped, I can't move. If there's a forest fire, yeah. I'm doomed. <laughs> so that actually is something that I think is interesting in this context, which this gets into, like, a whole other field of philosophy, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if we're going there, let's go there. Um, but, like... Because earlier we were talking about, okay, everything has... Especially crepe myrtle trees. <laughs> Especially crepe myrtles. Because they can have wrinkles. They Whoa. Can have... Yeah, I got a hair on my face. Sorry. Um, Sorry, my ADHD is kicking in, guys. <laughs> Go on. But if everything is alive, if everything... If we're all made of the same star stuff... Oh, yeah. We're ooh, stardust. Yeah. Um then what makes our existence different? What makes our consciousness the one that is conscious? And is there another level of consciousness that other beings have, whether they're alive, whether they're plants, whether they're inanimate and don't think? It's like, how can we prove that they don't have some level of understanding of the world? Like, we know that animals are conscious and live and think probably more similarly to life to us than like a tree would but trees have a certain level of intelligence and how do we say that's not conscious yeah like the octopus yeah so So smart smart. super smart and they like to play too yeah which is really cute and like dolphins oh i don't like dolphins oh you don't no they're kind of scary but they're really smart yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah dolphins they don't respect personal space sometimes, guys. No, they don't. They <laughs> consent is they, something they, is, they don't care about consent. That is a human construct that I'm glad we have constructed. Yes, I agree. That's a good one. That's a keeper. Yeah, that one's a keeper. Um, yeah, but how how do we we yeah. don't like you literally cannot prove that that tree that you're that that crepe myrtle isn't feeling like. 
Yeah. Crepe myrtle things, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And even, like, if you don't want to go f- as far as to say, oh, maybe they're sentient, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still existing. Yeah. And for me, I feel like the idea that, you know, we're the only sentient being out there. Yeah. I mean, humans are unique as far as we know in in our ability to have, like, this self-reflection of, like, mm-hmm. like e- each of us is an I, you know, I it has, like, the, a mind Yeah, we're the only ones who are conscious of our own consciousness. Yes, I think that yes. has been proven. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, and that's pretty cool. That is pretty but, cool. But, you know, I don't think that warrants separating ourselves from the rest of the world on and, and some from nature supreme level yeah like that we're better yeah if well, anything it just caused a bunch of anxiety <laughs> everyone if anything yeah. we're just really freaking out yeah <laughs> um but i think also i think a lot about like why is our idea of like brain the real idea of mm-hmm. brain like why can't other oh yeah do you the trees don't have like a brain but they still think yeah it's just a different way of thinking yeah more embodied maybe in the tree i don't know oh, yeah. that might sound really weird and no yeah we're yeah the thinking or whatever trees do yeah is not really centralized yeah in like a brain or a nervous system right yeah. Yeah. Someone once told me long ago that <laughs> that trees only grow up because other trees around them are growing up and cuz they want the most sunlight. Oh yeah, that actually makes sense. I don't know if that's true. They're just competitive. <laughs> yeah. They're like I want to be the tallest tree. Huh. I wonder if I that's don't know true. If that, I don't know. I can't confirm. But Comment I mean below. <laughs> but like a lot of plants, you know, they'll like grow towards the sun. Yeah. There's a fancy word for it that I don't remember anymore, but... But there's an awareness there. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that may look like, maybe the plant isn't aware that it's doing it, but, you know, it's responding to its environment, which Mm -hmm. is one of the core characteristics of consciousness. Well, and if that's not what we do every single day, (laughs) just respond to our environment. Yeah. It's just that we're aware that we're responding to our environment that I think probably... Sets us apart. Probably, yeah. Plants and trees probably don't have that that I know of, but you never know. Yeah, but <laughs> interesting things. Okay, well, is there anything else before I get into my final questions that you feel like you want to say, get out there? There is something that we talked about that you're like, I didn't get to say this and it's really important, or you're like, this is something that I just, I, I gotta say. Uh, not really. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just chilling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a fun time. I'm having a Yay. great time. <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun. Okay, final final question, my dear friend Lauren, what is one word, which of course playing with this idea of language and what does it mean and blah 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 blah. So I'm putting constraints <laughs> on it. One word that describes how you're feeling right now. Oh man. And don't don't it doesn't have to be perfect. It's more just like a way to kind of encapsulate the yeah. last hour or so. Um, I would say. Probably fulfilling. Um, you know, I love these types of conversations, and it's you know the types of friends that are willing to have these types of crazy 
mind-boggling conversations with me are far and few. So I really value our friendship, and I, um, I'm super glad that I got to do this today. So yeah, fulfilling. <gasps> oh, that makes me really, really happy, <laughs> and I'm just so grateful for you and oh, our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> our, oh friendship my our friendship. <laughs> okay, well... Cool. That is all I have. That was so fun. Thank you all so much for listening today and being here today, especially if you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It had been a hot second since I had seen Lauren, so it was just great to catch up and have this convo. If you want more info about today's episode, head to thecoherecollective.com and click on blog. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can subscribe to our newsletter on thecoherecollective.com so you never miss another episode. For updates on all of our stuff, follow us on Instagram at The Cohere Collective. And if you would like, you can follow me on Instagram at Lillian Reese Brown. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave an honest review or rating. It helps me reach the people who will resonate with my content and then hopefully reach my goal of making the world a better place. Sharing the pod is also a great way to start conversations with important people in your life. So if you have someone that you think would enjoy this conversation, definitely send it over to them. Right now, I'm feeling kind of giddy, which is a weird word to use. But I was just listening back to this conversation with Lauren, and it was just such a joy. And getting to have conversations with my friends and people that I love is just so fun and epic and I just feel really grateful that I get to continue doing this. Thank you all again so much for being here and I hope you feel like you're living more coherently. I'll catch y'all next time. Love. <laughs>